Today on the We Invested podcast, we have RJ Burr, President and CEO of PanX. RJ, how are you doing today? I'm doing terrific, Wesley. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, you know, before we get started, would you mind letting the people know how they can find you uh, on your website or social media? A absolutely. Uh, we believe that uh, education is the, the first step in anything you do with your money. This is your money we're talking about. And uh, when it comes to your partner's money, man, they don't come by these. Mo most people didn't get their money through inheritance. They had to go out, blood, sweat, tears, sacrifice, miss kids' ball games, miss dinners. And so when, when you make the decision to put your money somewhere, you're making the most sacred decision you can make in business. You're trusting somebody with your hard-earned money. And knowing that, we put together a website. It's uh, panx.us slash learn. And that page is specifically designed for somebody who has never invested in oil or never invested with us. It, it gives you a general foundation of the oil and gas industry, the, the roughly 6,000 products that you can create from every barrel that we use every day, the tax benefits, the ups, the downs. We want to give you the full picture where you understand exactly what you're looking at when you look at an oil program. We tell our story. We show what we're doing. And uh, by the time you're at the end of that page, you'll know whether you want to keep talking to us or not. Now, when you get on panx.us slash learn, there'll be a little questionnaire, basically your name and phone and all that. That's our gatekeeper where we basically, where we know who's coming to the site. Now, <laughs> we don't like competition, so we don't give your name to anybody. And uh, that basically is the way we track who's going to the site. And like I said, when you're done, you'll know whether you want to keep talking to us or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's just start from the top and talk a little bit about, you know, where you're from and where you grew up. Okay. Well, I, I was I was born in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, grew up in Dallas. Uh, I've been all over. Came to uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky, home of the Corvette, in 19, 1990, 1991. Um, in 1987, there was a well hit in Clinton County, Kentucky. And from 4,000 feet deep, this well produced 4,000 barrels of oil a day. It was the largest oil well in North America at that point. And uh, so we came out here looking for it. And... Uh, once we planted roots in Bowling Green, we didn't want to be anywhere else. Now, <laughs> it, it didn't take us long. I, I believe our, our first five years of drilling wells in Kentucky, uh, we didn't find enough oil to change it in your car. It, it was horrible. Uh, we we just we couldn't we couldn't find enough to touch it with a dipstick. And uh, you eventually, if you run into a wall so many times, you eventually start looking for a door. And uh, at that point, we made the decision. You know, what's that old saying? If you're going to hunt for elephants, you go to Africa. Well, if you're going to hunt for oil and gas, you go to the Gulf Coast. And so we got back to where we know what we're doing, and uh, we've been there ever since. That's incredible. So, you know, you spent some time throughout the South, Texas, Kentucky. You know, how would you say that growing up in these areas impacted your outlook on life and success? Uh, I mean, I, I kind of had a, a pretty diverse upbringing. I saw, you know, I spent uh, – my younger years in Texas, I had uh, a few years in Lake Tahoe, had uh, what I call my formative years, my sixth grade through sophomore year in uh, California, and uh, moved out to Kentucky when I was a junior in high school and have uh, been here ever since. Um, really, doesn't matter where you're at. You know, everybody, I believe everybody has a human nature that we all want to get along and we all want to help each other. That That's just by nature our first instinct. And uh, when you find that in people, it doesn't matter where you are, it's going to be the same. 
Now, how everything inspired me to where I'm at today, that was easy. Uh, I was seven years old. I went to, uh, you know, the old go to work with your dad day. And uh, my dad loaded me up and took me to the field in Luling, Texas. And it was the first time I'd ever been to the oil patch. And uh, I get out of the car and, uh, you know, I smell something in the air. It was kind of a, you know, it didn't really smell good. The dad, what's that smell? He said, baby, that's the smell of money. And it was the oil. If you've ever been to Luling, the town of Luling smells like oil. And uh, that was the first time I'd ever smelt it. And so he takes me out to the field and I see the, I see all these pump jacks across the horizon. And I was hooked. I mean, I, I, dad, what are those? He said, baby, every time those go up and down, they're making our partners money. And so, so that's all, all I've ever wanted to do. It didn't matter where we were at. I knew I would, uh, I knew I'd end up in the oil business, uh, graduated high school, joined the business, uh, what, within three months, earned my first partner, made my first sale, however you want to, however you want to term it. And, uh, been doing it ever since I turned 48, uh, last month, actually a month ago tomorrow. But, uh, no, that, that's where that's where a lot of people get confused when, when it comes to, well, when it comes to family businesses and it comes to first, second, third generation people. I've been in oil my, all my life. Uh, I'm the third generation of, of my family that has made our living producing American oil. Uh, when I started the business, when I got involved in the business at 18, Heck, I already had more knowledge than most people that had been in the business 10 years. Mm-hmm. And we were talking a little bit ago. And when I first got in the business, now this is really why people, when you look at what is going on right now and, and you look at opportunities and where you can place your money, there are not many places that you can be confident in what the outcome will be. It, it's you, you don't know there. There's so many. I mean, we're, we're being told right now up is down, left is right, right is wrong. I mean, we're being and so so most of you, you it's hard to find something you can have confidence in like that. Well, a couple of years ago, I had a partner call me and it was when the silver crunch happened. And it was when he realized there was more paper silver out there than there was actual silver. Now. Most of my investors, I'm not going to put a big umbrella over all investors, but I would be willing to bet it's a good percentage of them. But I can say most of my investors, they live from three piles of money I call the three S's. The first pile is their sacred money. That's the money they pay their bills with, take care of their family. That's the money that they live on. Nobody touches that. The second pile is their safe money. That money is what they, don't get me wrong, they want it to grow. But they want to know that when they put it there and they come back years later, there's going to be just as much, much maybe a little bit more. There. That, that's where they buy their real estate. That's where they buy their gold. That's where they buy their silver, their hard assets. That's that pile. The third pile is their, is their speculation pile. That's the pile they play with me on. That's the pile they want multiples on. They want to make three, four, five, ten to one on their money. They're willing to take a little more speculation because this is their speculation pile. Well, the big awakening for him was the fact that his safe pile was now he realized it was just as manipulated as anything else out there. And and so he had a momentary pause because all of a sudden now he didn't know if his safe pile truly was safe. And and so it it, kind of, it puts things into perspective. And and so when you sit down and start thinking about it, it hit me one night, what product in the world has a perfect balance is needed by everybody. And 
The demand is through the roof. And it's simple. It's oil. You have half the population wants it free. The other half the population want a million dollars a barrel. So you have two equally opposing forces pulling on each barrel. Now, that gives you a stable price. Now, why is the oil industry something you need to get involved in right now? Well, most people don't understand the true nature of the American oil industry. The American oil industry is not your majors. The American oil industry is roughly 9,000 independent producers that average 12 employees or less. We produce 83% of the oil and 90% of the gas. We drill over 90% of the wells. So what we saw coming, knowing all this and knowing our path, what we saw coming, now whether you liked or didn't like President Trump is really irrelevant because what he did when he turned our oil industry loose, he took the power structure of the oil industry worldwide and shook it. Because for the last 67 years, OPEC has controlled oil prices. They took it from the Seven Sisters. Well, all of a sudden, the U.S. shale industry threatened that power. What they say didn't really have as much effect. And what we saw coming is we saw OPEC, OPEC plus, Russia and Saudi Arabia. We saw them increasing production, pushing the prices down, and basically, for lack of a better term, economic war on the U.S. shale industry. Now, knowing this, now if you know the U.S. shale industry, you know most of those companies are leveraged out the yin-yang. They need at least $50 a barrel to pay all their bills. They make their profit over 50 And so if you own a field and you need 50 to pay your bills and all of a sudden the prices are $35, you're in a bad spot. And so that's really what we saw coming. Now, when you look at economic crisis throughout our history, at the end of it, there's always a group of people that come out of the other side looking like geniuses. And when you string their stories together, there are really only two common threads that hold them together. The first is when the crisis happened, they had cash in hand. They were liquid. The second is when their opportunity presented itself, they had the courage to push their chips into the middle of the table and take action. And so knowing all of this, that's what we were getting ready for. And then all of a sudden, Corona came and Corona took what we thought would take 12 to 18 months to play out and crunched it down into 30 days. And and that all began on April 20th. Now, when the prices crashed in 2020 on April 20th, the immediate impact that most people didn't realize, if you ask most Americans out there about the wall crash and and the effect on the companies, their thought would be, ah, it's Exxon. They can handle it. Or it's BP. It's a, which, yeah, they can. I mean, it hurt them a little bit. But yeah, they could handle it. But they weren't the ones that were really hit. It was those 9,000 independent producers in the American oil patch. All of a sudden, the first wave that were gone was the day the prices crashed. The ones that were already on shaky financial ground, boom, they're gone overnight. Out of business sign goes in the door. The next wave came a couple of months later when we sent everybody home for COVID. Your larger companies could pay their employees to get them back out to the field. Your companies that weren't as liquid, they couldn't pay their employees enough. Boom, they were the next ones gone. And so what did those, what did those events create? They created an opportunity in American oil that really hasn't been around in probably 100 years. Because to build a major oil and gas company, it requires hundreds of millions of barrels of oil in reserve. Well, to acquire or accumulate that many barrels of oil in reserve, you needed, well, there's really only one or two ways to do it. 
You either one, find it yourself. Well, most of your major spindle top formations have already been found. Maybe they'll find some in the future, but they haven't. And so that's really not a viable option. Well, the second was to buy it from people that had already found it. Well, up until April of 2020, they knew what they had and weren't willing to sell it or would ask an exorbitant price. So it wasn't very cost effective. So to build a major oil and gas company on American oil was next to impossible. Well, now that whole playing field has been cleared. Now, when that day happened, I, rem I remember it like it was yesterday. It, I, I watched it happen. Uh, it got down to, I think, $8 a barrel. I'd had enough. I went and got me an Arby's. It went out a roast beef about a block down the road. Mm -hmm. I'm walking back into my office, and I look at the TV, and I see a 40. Like, whoo, okay, hey, it's it corrected. All right, there we go. And as I sat down, I said, well, well, hang on. There's a little line in front of that 40. I didn't even know that was possible. I, I've been in this business my whole life, and, and I didn't know that going negative was possible like that. And, and so at that moment, if anybody had the right to curl up in the fetal position and suck the thumb, it was probably us. We had some programs that were going outstanding that uh, it, it really hurt. However, we were sitting down, you know, once the newness of the moment wore off, once the sting wore off, we were sitting down talking about it. And the thought was, you know, guys, this is what we were getting ready for anyway. And, and so when everybody else pulled in their sales, we opened ours wide open and started making acquisitions. And uh, in the last three years, we've made more than 20 purchases, 20 acquisitions. We've secured what we believe to be roughly 100 million barrels of oil equivalent. I mean, it's $70 oil, that's $7 billion in reserves. And we don't see really anything stopping us from continuing to do what we're doing. Because what our goal is now, these are these are lofty goals. Will we get there? I don't know. I know we're going give, to give it everything we have. But we know there has not been a major oil and gas company created using strictly American oil in almost 40 years. We want to be that company. Somebody's going to consolidate this American oil. And so that's what we've started. We, we started going out and acquiring as many reserves as we can. And sent, we're simply developing. That, that's where our partners make it come. Because really what we want to do, I really don't want to drill wildcat wells. I, I don't want to go out and look and explore and, and try to get things that, uh, that nobody there. I want to reinvent the wheel. What we do is we go into proven areas. We go into areas like salt dumps. We love salt dumps. Why? They're difficult drilling. Most people don't have the expertise to drill these kind of wells. We do. We know that our team is probably one of the best drilling crews in the world. That's why we have them. That's why the Yankees are the Yankees and the A's are the A's. We hire the best people. And these guys go out and drill these difficult wells, so we're not afraid of them. But secondly, salt domes were your original oil-bearing formations. When they started discovering oil, most of those oil fields were salt domes. Well, think of the technology they used to generate that oil. When, when, when you look at those oil companies, I, I kind of call them uh, spoiled kids. And here's what I mean. You know what a spoiled kid's favorite toy is? Their next toy. Mm -hmm. These guys would go out, they drill a handful of wells. They say, oh, wow, we found a bunch. And then all of a sudden they find one five miles down the road and they pick up and leave. Well, after doing that for 40, 50 years, these guys think they've developed all the oil and produced all the oil out of it. But when you go back and look at the patterns of how they drilled, they left millions of barrels behind. Up until now, you couldn't purchase them. Now we can and uh, that's what we've been doing, and, and we don't plan on stopping. So for the person that is maybe unfamiliar with the oil industry or, um, you know, what different oil companies do, I want to ask, what is Pan-X? 
Okay. Panex is a we acquire, develop, and produce oil. Uh, we go out, we secure the leases, we do the geological write-up, we bring the rigs in, we drill the wells, we operate the production. We do it from beginning to end, control every step of the every step of the way. Um, when it comes to how our partners make money, there there's there's various ways they they can do it. We have equity programs where they come in and they're getting paid a certain fixed amount for a certain period of time. And then they have, say, stock in the company when it's all said and done with their money back in their pocket. That's for partners that just want to test the water, stick their toe in the pool, make sure we're the kind of people they want to jump in and swim with. Uh, for the partners that need tax benefits, oil and gas tax benefits are tremendous. They're some of the best out there. I'm not a CPA, so I can't uh, tell you how it'll affect you specifically. I'm just going to give you a general rule of thumb. But uh, when you when you look at it, it's an above line deduction. And Uncle Sam will roughly pay for a thirty year investment. You, you put up uh, you put up a hundred thousand dollars. He's going to pay for roughly thirty five thousand. As I said, everybody's going to vary a little bit, but that's just a general rule of thumb. And so for our partners that need tax benefits, we put together drilling programs. Now in these drilling programs, it will be a specific number of wells. Say the the current current one we're we're funding right now is a four well program. And when you look at a drilling program, you really have to look at what kind of well are you drilling? What does the production from the wells around you look like? Do you know there's oil there? Do you think there's oil there? Are you guessing there's oil there? What are, difficult, what are the potential difficulties? And then what are the potential reserves on the wells? Now, when you look at these four wells, all four of these wells are direct offset wells, meaning we have a well producing right here. We're moving over and drilling another one right here. We have a well that... Maybe not producing at the moment. We have a well that has been productive. We have the logs on the well. We're moving or just basically drilling another well. And uh, by doing that, we reduce the risk tremendously. Now, nothing's guaranteed. We're still drilling oil wells. There's still speculation drilling around the salt dome. We've lost plenty of wells. However, in the last six years, we've drilled 37 wells or participated in 37 wells. Uh, of those 37 wells, we've reached total depth 32 times. And of those 32 times, we put 30 of those wells into production. Uh, of the five wells we did not reach total depth on, we lost by mechanical failures, either got stuck in the hole, you know, various mechanical things could happen. But in four of those wells, we already had oil ships. And so we'll go back to those wells at a later date once we figure out how to get through the difficulty that, that caused the first failures. But uh, our, our numbers are staggering when it comes to what the partners can make. Like I said, it's anybody. If anybody ever tells you oil is easy, they're lying to you. Nothing's guaranteed. Um, I tell my partners, if this money is something that would change the clothes you wear, the car you drive, or the food you eat, if something happened, if the world opened up and swallowed my company and you lost every dime other than the tax benefits, if this would would affect your life at all, then don't do it. You're not big enough for it. However, if this is something you can put your money in. Let us go to work for you and let us show you what a true oil and gas company is and how we can, well, how this industry has made millions for millions. I mean, it really has. It, oil, we were, we were talking earlier, it is the foundation of modern civilization. In 1859, when it was when it was first discovered, Edwin Drake drilled the well, they started using the kerosene. Well, the world really changed, I think it was 1888, when uh, Carl Benz found a little product that they were flaring off when they were making the kerosene called gasoline. And he figured out how to make an engine that would burn it. And uh, then Ford came along in 1908 and mass produced the Model T and the world changed. And 
from that day till to now, pretty much every modern advancement has a foundation of oil in it. From the clothes we wear, to the cars we drive, to the food we eat, to the medicine we use, to the makeup, to the plastics, to the hair products, to, I mean, every, if it has poly in it, it's oil. And uh, that that's the big, when you look at the, the deceptions, maybe not deceptions, but the, the rude awakenings that some people are facing, well, you look at green energy. I mean, you, you don't want to bash green energy, but it's hard to argue with someone who's trying to save the world. And, and I just really look at the math behind it, and I look at the, the possibilities. And when you do the math and you do the research, really there, there's just nothing that can economically replace oil right now and all that it does. For, for a solar farm, for a solar farm to produce the amount of energy that we, require, that we require as a country, it would require that solar farm to be the size of New Jersey, for the sun to shine 24 hours a day, 365 days a year at Arizona summertime intensity. And it, that just isn't practical. You look at tur wind turbines off the coast. Well, look at the damage it's doing with the whales already. That's not even talking about the eyesore of having it line each coast. I, it's just when, when you look at it so disingenuous, because if they really wanted the clean energy, they'd go nuclear natural gas. Those are the two cleanest burning energies we have. And we already have infrastructure. And, and so when you start looking at all this stuff, and then you look at the fact that they're pushing ESG scores and you look at the fact that they're going electric cars, electric cars, electric, and they're pushing everybody to green energy. Personally, I, I semi, you know, internally, I weep a little bit for it because I, I, I see what's happening. However, the capitalistic side in me says, you know what? Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep pushing them. Keep pushing them. Keep drawing money away from wool. In 2014, worldwide, we invested $900 billion in upstream development to, defi to find more oil and gas that we've, that, than we've used. That number is going to be lucky to be $300 billion this year. Well, what do you expect to happen? And so when this illusion busts, because the only way you're replacing oil is if there is some groundbreaking invention that comes through, some printing press type invention some change the world well knowing human nature if somebody was close we'd be hearing about it and then even if they did it it would take a decade to get impl implemented and, and so running on the path we're running on with this illusion bust and everybody all of a sudden comes out from under the ether they're going to come back to oil and those who own the oil are going to be sitting in a pretty pretty strong position don't you think Absolutely. But do you feel any pressure from um, the mainstream media, the narratives that are being pushed for the clean energy and, you know, people talking about um, some of the things that come along with oil and with extracting oil? I mean, do, do, have you ever experienced any pressure or any backlash from that, like with just what's being pushed today? No. Nah. And personally, I wouldn't care. I mean, no, I've never been attacked. I've never had anybody go after us. But I really don't think anybody wants to engage in that argument with somebody who's informed. Mm -hmm. I, I had a partner send me uh, an email here a couple months ago. And in the email, there was a picture and it was a split screen picture. 
And on one side of the picture was a beautiful pristine land side, hills, trees in the back. And on the top of this big, beautiful green hill, there was a pump jack. One pump jack. You know, okay, it was a pump jack on top of a hill. Okay. Hmm. Not beautiful, but doesn't kill. I mean, okay, it's just a pump jack. On the other side was a lithium mine. And the ground completely scraped and stretched down into the mine. And at the very bottom, it said, now, which one's destroying the environment? And, and so they, they really don't want to get into that argument because for, for those who want to change the way we produce and use energy, energy consumption has historically been the mark of a country's standard of living. The United States, on average, we use 2.6 gallons of oil product a day per person. The average civilized country uses 1.6 gallons. Your uncivilized countries, your third world, 0.3. 17% of the population consumes 50% of the oil. 83% of the world population is just now beginning to use oil. Wow. And, and so when, when you come and put all of this stuff together, it, it just created a, a playing field that... Uh, I'm I'm done ignoring what they're, you know, I, I really, or I'm done listening to what they're saying because when somebody's coming at you and you look at the, well, just look to make the conversion to green energy. We would have to rape and pillage Mother Earth for resources like we have never done in the past. So for us to go green, we'd have to destroy the Earth to save us from destroying the Earth. That's the logic they're using. And once again, up until now, I don't think people really, it was worth the time to make the argument. You know, you, you kind of thought it was silly and just kind of kept and, and it never really, it got in your life, got in your circle. And now it is. And so now I welcome, I welcome it. You know, if you want to have that debate, let's have that debate. Because you can't stand on facts. I teach my kids, look, if you're in an argument with somebody, you're in a debate with somebody, the minute they say, I feel you won. Because feelings don't, feelings, facts don't care about feelings. It is what it is. One plus one equals two. It always will. Won't be 1.9, won't be three. If somebody tries to tell you that, they're lying. And so stick to the facts. Feelings have nothing to do with it. Now, we're, we're empathetic. We're emotional people. You don't want to see people suffer. I understand all that. But when it comes to the bottom line on making your decisions, if the math doesn't say it's a good thing, it'll never be a good thing. Doesn't matter how much you feel about it. And, and so we look at all this and we just know that uh, when the day of reckoning comes, I, I read a report the other day that uh, I think it was JP Morgan was predicting oil prices to be $400 a barrel, $390 a barrel. Now this is last March they did it, but I mean, that that's what most people don't realize. Oil is in everything we do. And them, them scaring us right now, we're running about a 10, 12 million barrel a day deficit from what we consume to what we produce. I told you a minute ago about the amount of money we're using to find more oil. Well, they're expecting that number to be over 30 million by 2030. Well, if you're consuming 120 million barrels of oil a day and you're only producing 90 million barrels of oil a day, what do you think that's going to do to prices? In the last three years, taught me really a couple of lessons, but one that really stuck with me. If a country doesn't control its food, medicine, or energy, somebody else does. Well, 
I can't do anything about food or medicine. They're not my, they're not my lane. By God, I can do something about energy. And, and so that's what we want to do. You know, very rarely do patriotism and capitalism stand on the same side of the street. But I know that if, if we can secure as much oil as we can secure and get it under one roof, then I know we've done our part. And I'm not going to lie. We'll make a fortune doing it. That's why we're doing it. I mean, let's be honest now. Don't get me wrong. I want to be patriotic and all that. But the reason I'm in oil from the very beginning was money. It just happened for the last handful of years. They lined together. When we first started recording, you mentioned, um, you know, your website, panics.us slash learn. So it, it sounds like it's an emphasis on the education piece um, for your clients or for your investors or for your partners. Mm -hmm. How much educating do you have to do uh, for your partners? Do do many of them come in and, and they're already kind of well-versed? um you know it, about no. oil and oil industry or no a, a lot of my partners know nothing about it when we first talk start talking um mm -hmm. it, it's my job to to explain it to you to where you know exactly what you're doing uh we tell our partners you know i don't care if it's a little hair on your pinky toe if it has a question ask it do you have a question don't ask shame on you that's what i'm here for we want to make sure you know exactly what you're doing before you say yes or no and, uh, you know, that way there's no, there, we, if it's black, it's black. If it's white, it's white. There is no gray. The gray area is where you get in trouble. And, and so my wife, uh, my wife tells me I'm brutally honest to a fault sometimes. Well, I, I would rather be brutally honest with you and you know where we're at every step of the way than give you false hope. And, and so that, that's kind of how we approach it. Now, when it comes to uh, being an expert in oil, no, you don't need to. I mean, when it comes to medicine, I go to my doctor. When it comes to law, I go to my lawyer. But when it comes to oil, they come to me because that's what I do. I'm the expert in oil. And so you come to me. I show you what we're doing. I explain what we're doing. Answer any questions you have. Show you what it could do for you financially. I just kind of lay out the whole picture. And then I put the ball in your court. I'm not uh, going to twist your arm. I'm not going to yank your hair. I've been doing this too long. I don't have to. Uh, I had a partner the other day, uh, a, a new partner. Ask me, well, if y'all are doing so good, why, why are you why are you calling me? Why are you wanting to increase your partner base? I said that's simple. I said right now, we could take our current partner base in, in our company and we could drill every well we need to drill by ourselves. It'd take us 20, 30 years to do it. It'd take us three, four hundred million in, in cost to drill these wells, but we can do it ourselves. And when we were done, we'd have made more money than we can spend, and there'll be millions of barrels of oil left behind for our kids. However, it's going to take us a long time to do it. We've already done that work. We're going to do it anyway. We want to expedite the process of building this company. Well, this pie is big enough for everybody to get a big old piece of it. If we can open up our partner base and bring in more people to help us fund these wells and build and develop this out, one, they get tremendous prospects because I really don't see us drilling anything but offset wells. So they're getting the safest wells you can drill in an area that could hold 100 million barrels of oil. Two, they're getting the tax benefits. But three, us, we're able to expedite our development. We're able to take the reserves we acquire here and the reserves we develop here, and we're able to acquire more reserves. Right now, we're looking at another uh, handful of salt domes that we, we're thinking of acquiring. 
This is not something we want to stop. And we want it. We know that the more people we get involved in this and the more people we win for, the more people are going to keep investing with us. The more they're going to tell their friends about us, the more they're going to tell their friends about us. All of a sudden, we turn a $100,000 investment into a million-dollar investment. We turn a million-dollar investment into a $10 million investment. Like I said, this one field right now, the properties we already hold, we have about 300 to 400 million in wells that need to be drilled. Well, let's say we're 50% wrong and we don't have 7 billion out there in reserves. Let's say it's three and a half billion. Well, say we're 50% wrong on that. Say we're 50% wrong on that. Say we're 50% wrong on that. We're still making a profit on this field if all we need is 400 million to develop it. Well, what if we're right? What if we have all the oil that we believe is out here? What if we can do this another eight, 10 times? And you look at a company that's sitting on 10, 15 billion in reserves, has no debt, has drilled less than 15% of its total prospects, and is sitting on half a billion barrels in reserve. What do you think the stock price for that company will be? That's why we're doing this. Now, that's dreaming. That's going down the road. That's where we want to go. But man, we've already got a big head start. And uh, that, that's why we're reaching out and trying to make build this as big as we can. Because we know that uh, the more people you can get on your side, the easier it is to push a big rock up a hill. And uh, to build a company the, like Exxon on American oil is something I think all of us can be proud of. Because it would be the only one. Your, your majors don't do it anymore. They, they don't. They produce a little oil in America, but they don't produce American oil. And that's what we want to do. We, that's all we want to produce is American oil. Who's going to take care of our land and take care of our production better than us? You know, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't go and take care of my neighbor's yard as good as I take care of mine. <laughs> right. right. You know, and so that's basically it. That's uh, that's us in a nutshell. We, uh, we're an open book. We're a family business. Me and my brother, uh, my dad just retired. He's still, uh, in fact, he was in the office today. Uh, the people that work here, I'd say on average, 20 years, they've been with us. You know, we don't, we don't lose people. It's just, uh, we're, like I said, you don't want to be a, you don't want to be a braggart, but uh, we're good at what we do. And that's not saying we won every time. Heck, I've lost plenty of money. I've drilled plenty of dry holes. But, but our partners know that without them, we don't have a business. And every decision we make has one question that's asked before we do it. Is it good for the partners? If the answer is yes, we move forward. If the answer is no, it's a full stop, period. End of story. We don't. Because it's simple. If we win for them, we win. And that, that's how we approach everything. Something that I noticed early on in the conversation, even before we started recording, was your passion for oil, was your passion for the industry, was your passion for like the knowledge in this in your industry um you know and something else i thought that was really important and really cool is that you told me when you first got started in the industry you started out cold calling which i think is an important task an important skill to master especially if you want to be in business if you want to be the president and the ceo of a company i feel like making those cold calls connecting connecting with strangers so to speak um, builds an important foundation in any field, any profession that you're in. So, I mean, 
what are some of the lessons that you've learned or what are some of the benefits that you personally uh, remember from making those cold calls? Because, I, I mean, I'm sure it probably wasn't easy, especially being 18 years old and being asked to just call, you know, random people mm-hmm. out of the phone book. Well, that that's what put most people out. When you look at oil, that that's what put, puts most people out of the business. Now, it's a different world now. You can't really cold call anymore like we used to. Uh, with caller ID and all that, that world's kind of died. However, it was a barometer for a salesman because if you couldn't deal with the rejection from cold calls, you, you were never going to make it in selling oil because in selling oil, you are literally making the toughest sale there is to make. You're selling an intangible. You're selling something they can't touch, taste, smell, feel. It's all emotion. It's a transfer of emotion from me to you and what we're doing. And and we kind of look at it. I was laughing. My my dad used to preach it from day one. And uh, I said, hey, one of these days, they're ever going to write a book called Three Factors. But it really is. When you, when you break it down, it boils down to there are three factors before you and anybody else will ever do business. The first factor is the buyer's responsibility. The second two factors are the seller's responsibility. The factor that's the buyer's, I can't. It's your money. I can tell you how much you have. I can tell you how much you can invest. Our programs are for accredited investors, and uh, it's for partners that our, our typical investment is a hundred thousand. And, and so, if that's something that the partner can handle, okay, we'll put a positive next to it, and uh, we won't look back. If it's something that that is not, well, not to be rude, but I don't want to waste your time. Now, I have no problem educating you. I'll provide all this information, and if you get to the point one day where you are accredited, please come back. I'll help you any way I can. But that's the first one that has to be positive. Now, once that's positive, then it moves to me and my two factors. First and foremost, like we had discussed earlier, it's who we are. Really, regardless of what we can do for you financially, I could sit here and spout glowing numbers and I could just blow rainbows and sunshine and golden gooses all over. But if you didn't believe what I was saying, that's irrelevant. And so the first thing you have to do is see that we're the kind of people you, you want on your team. You have to look at our experience. You have to look at our track record on the, the learn page. We'll have testimony testimonials from partners, guys that, that put their money just like every investor out there. And these are partners that we've won for and lost for. It's no holds barred. We've said, here, what do you think of us? We want people to know. And, and so that that's the first thing that has to be positive. You have to see that we're the kind of people that you'd want to break bread with. Now, once you see that you want us on your team, then it's what can we do for you financially? Now, when it comes to cold calling and getting through all of that, one, it teaches you discipline because for you to generate, doesn't matter how good you are. I I was pretty good cold call, but you're going to average one of every hundred. For every hundred dollars you make, and this wasn't auto dial, this was pounding the phone with your fingers. I mean, it got to the point where you didn't even have to look at the dial. You could dial it looking at your sheet. And, and so for every $100 you'd make, you generate a lead. Well, $400 a day, four leads, all right, four, four a day, we'll keep the doctor away. And, and so that was the baseline. Now, I was an overachiever, and so I would typically run six, $800 a day just to make sure because, look, in sales, the beauty of sales, it doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter your education, doesn't matter what car you drive, doesn't matter how you look. It is all numbers. If you close one out of 10 people and I close one out of 20 people, I just need to work twice as hard to have the same numbers as you. And, and so 
That's what I learned through cold calling is how to know your numbers and allow them to work for you. Now, through that process, by being the hardest worker, if you have a natural talent to it, that natural talent will emerge. And uh, I, I tend to think I was pretty talented at it. And so it, it kind of emerges. And when I talked to my kids, they said, Dad, what's the secret of, of being successful? I said, I'll give you the top three things. Work hard, work hard, or be the hardest worker. You take care of those three, everything else will take care of itself. You have to have an uncontrollable desire to succeed. Being successful is not easy. Being successful is showing up every day. It's paying the price. It's stumping that toe. It's smashing the thumb with the hammer. It's, it's losing money. It's making mistakes. It's learning from those mistakes. But, but success is a process. And that's what cold calling really teaches you because I, I hate to say it in this way, this way, but I absolutely loathed it. It was the worst. It was the worst job ever. And I have compassion for anybody who's a phone jockey and on the phone and dialing the phone that many times because man, it's brutal. However, my dad taught me a long time ago, son, if you're going to be successful in life at one point, you're going to have to pay a price. Now, you'll either pay that price early or you're going to pay that price late. The beauty is you get to choose when you pay that price. And I took those words to heart. And that's how I started in the business is I knew if I was the hardest worker there, then everything else would take care of itself. And 30 some odd years later, here we are. You had a you you said a couple Dope quotes while you were talking, and I was over here trying to write them down to take notes. One of them, I think it was, you have to have an uncontrollable, and I missed the last, I, I, I forget the last part, but that was deep right there. I, I wanted to hear that one again. It was an uncontrollable desire to succeed. That's fire. Uncontrollable desire to succeed. I love that. I love that. And so. Hey, I, I learned that. from all, Look, one thing in the sales business you'll learn. And it's not the, the most sincere form of flattery is imitation. Mm -hmm. When you're in a phone room with 40 other guys, you're going to hear things that you like. You're going to hear things that you don't like. When you hear things you like, you take it and make it your own. You're not taking from somebody. You're actually giving them respect because they said something good enough on the phone. You wanted it. And uh, that right there, I learned that from one of my old teachers probably 30 years ago. I want that guy that will chew through a steel bar to get here to work in the morning. Absolutely. You know, and that that's you can't teach that, you know, you, you either you either have that desire or you don't. And. Uh, oh, I don't know. You know, I, I've you get on soapboxes and you talk about what's going on in the world and all that. And all I know is that. Uh, life's been hell since my crystal ball broke. And so I, I just uh, I try to control what I can control every day. I drill the wells that we're supposed to drill. I look at the oil prices and know that uh, we're in a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, know that we have an opportunity right now to do something that can withstand the test of time. And uh, don't know if we're going to get there, but I do know this. If we don't get there, it's not, not going to be because of a lack of trying. Uh, I promised my partners this. I said, look, I can't, I can't guarantee you perfect results, but I can guarantee you perfect effort. And then we'll let the chips fall where they may. And so that's kind of how we approach it. At this point in your career, how do you 
define success? Mm. Oh, wow. It, it just depends on what you define as success. I mean, if it's, if it's financial success, okay, I'm pretty good. I'm not really worried about uh, money. Um, if it, if it's raising your kids, right. Okay. I've done pretty good there. My kids are, you know, uh, my oldest is 22 and my youngest is 13 and I got a 20 year old and a 16 year old squished in between. Um, when it comes to family, I mean, everything's going good. Now I, I kind of look at, uh, Oh, I guess the best way to answer it is this for years. A lot of people float around the water like a boat without a rudder. Mm. They might make it to the dock, meaning they might find success. But a lot of the times that's an accident until they find their purpose. And when they find their purpose, all of a sudden now they have a rudder. And that rudder can steer them to the dock if they can get it there. And for years, my purpose was making money. For years, that was my, if you ask me what your job is, my job is to make money. Why I needed to take care of my wife. I needed to take care of my kids. I needed to do this. I needed to do that. I mean, that's that was what my goal was. And as I got older, I realized that that goal was misplaced. Don't get me wrong. It was a great goal and it got me to where I was. However, it was a childish goal because that was a very selfish goal. Because if I could do what I did then and do it in the proper spirit, meaning my goal is no longer to make as much money as we can make. My goal is to build the biggest company you've ever seen. All of a sudden I found my purpose. It wasn't to make money. Now, as a side effect of finding my purpose, if we're successful, yes, I'm going to make an obscene amount of money. That's, you know, that, that is my ultimate goal here. However, once I found that purpose and really that, that purpose, it's a hollow purpose. If you know, there's no route to get to the top of the mountain, but, but when those prices crashed and, and when everything happened and really that didn't hit home until it was about a year ago. And I was listening to a group of talking heads on the TV and I listened to them quote just various things about different subjects on energy, green energy, future energy investment. I mean, and they were essentially, I, I wrote a, well, in the learn page, you'll see one gas one run. I wrote that probably five years ago, six years ago. Well, they were essentially quoting three years after it was written stuff that we had been saying was going to happen. And then not only did we say it was going to happen, but we we took action towards taking advantage of when it did happen. And, and so when, when you see that everything you're doing is validated by really, I don't care what they say. I listen to what's going on and I listen to everything read in between the lines because that's where the truth is. And you see where the numbers are and when you see everything that you've been feeling was going to happen playing out exactly like you thought it was going to happen, you don't want to get arrogant and bet your farm that, you know, that you're going to be right every time. But, uh, 
I mean, man, when you're Delta Royal flush, how do you fold it? Mm-hmm. You know, you got to keep playing the hand and that that's what we're doing. I mean, we, we've already hit our grand slam. And so now it's just a matter of how big can we build this house? And so, you know, if we're going to, like I was telling you earlier, we've already done that. We're going to do that anyway. Right. And so, now, you know, I was talking to my brother when my dad retired and, uh, you know, my brother was sitting here and, and I said, well, Bo, his name is Justin, but we called him Bo since he was a kid. And I, I said, well, Bo, I said, we can do one of two things right now. I said, bro, we, we don't have to do another thing. I said, we can keep funding wells the way we're funding them. We'll drill 10, 15 wells a year, make more money than we can spend, you know, plenty of oil for the kids and we're long gone. I said, we, we can do that. Said, or we can put push the gas pedal down. I said, dude, we're going to do that anyway. I said, it doesn't matter what decision you and I make right now. That work's going to get done because it's already in the works. So what if we use that as the foundation to build something? I said, we got a shot to do something special here. I said, that's why we started this. I said, so if you shoot for the stars and you hit the moon, is that all bad? And uh, I've got on my screensaver, I've got a picture of a big old mountain. And I've got this little drawing program on my iPad. And I drew me a little stick figure about a third of the way up the mountain. It says, you were here. And every day when I open up my computer, that's the first thing I see is you were here. And we want to get to the top of that mountain. And it's a long, hard journey. Don't know if we're going to make it. We're going to face plenty of pitfalls. We're going to face, face plenty of obstacles. But uh, this is all we've ever done. And, and I believe that uh, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be somebody like us. Absolutely. Nah, man, I, I mean, this is motivating and inspirational for me to hear right now. Like I said, going back to earlier, man, it's just that passion. It's the focus. And, you know, you were talking about <clears> – <throat> You were listening to the talking heads on TV talking about energy, um, you know, but it was it was these were things that you were discussing, studying and researching, you know, three years or six years prior to that conversation. And I feel like having that intuition, having that, you know, being able to follow your gut instincts, being able to follow what you feel and what you've observed, you know, that's something that can only come from experience. And that's you know, what we're talking about too, before we got started recording, it's just like the beauty of life experience, the beauty of seeing it before. So, you know, it's like when you play the sport for so long, the game can start to slow down and you Mm -hmm. can see it, you can see the game in slow motion. So I feel like, you know, that's just where you're at now. You've been in the industry for like close to 30 years, it sounds like. So, I mean, it, it just shows the benefit of staying consistent, staying persistent and, and being locked in on a, on a purpose. Well, well, thank you. And, and it, but it's it's one hundred percent. I read Think and Grow Rich when I was young, yep. and one of the main lessons I, I I drew from that book is while it's while it's vital to know what you know, it's more vital to know what you don't know. And mm-hmm. when you know you don't know something, then you can hire somebody who does. And, and so. As much as my ego would love to say, oh, yeah, I'm the mastermind. I pulled all this off. And now, you know, man, let's you and I go sit down and have a beer and I'll tell you some stories. No, man, it's it's everybody here. I mean, from 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 the girls to JP to Charlie and Chris to my brother to everybody in the field. I mean, these guys are some of the finest oil men you can find. And, and 
when, when you when you talk to, you know, if you'd grab Dale Earnhardt years ago or grab Rusty Wallace after they won a big race, could they have run that race, won that race at their car, didn't make it? You know, and, and so the first thing they did is they always think their crew and their car because without that crew and without that car, they're not who they are. And, and it's no different here. Without our crew, without our guys that are actually drilling the wells, without these studs, we're not as successful as we are. Now, could we find another crew? Yeah. Could we find other people? Yeah. But no, we've got we've got what we believe are the best. And I, I kind of look at it, you know, no offense to anybody from Oakland, but uh, I mean, I, I kind of look at it, there's a reason the Yankees are the Yankees and the A's are the A's. You know, the, you get what you pay for. And uh, that that's just kind of how that that's the secret. To our, if, if you were to look for our secret sauce, that's it. It's our people. You know, you can take everything you have. What they, I believe it was Henry Ford. You can take everything I have and uh, leave me my people and I'll conquer the world. You know, same thing here. You, you can take everything we have, leave us our crew, and we'll be back tomorrow. You kind of uh, spoke on this a little earlier, but I want to ask you again. What does the future of Panex look like to you? Oh, you know, I, I really don't know. Uh, I know what we want to do. I know that uh, in my in my dream eye, I see uh, us being publicly traded. I see our stock trading 40, 50 a share. Uh, I see us building a company that uh, when, when historians look back at this moment, they say, damn, those guys knew something. You know, that that's in my dream eye. That's what I see. Uh, can we get there? Like I said, I, I don't know. I, that's we're going to give it everything we have. Uh, realistically, I see a company that uh, is going to make their partners money. We've got the product. We we we've got the oil. We're not really. Uh, we don't believe we're speculating when it comes to drilling. When it comes to finding the oil, we believe the oil's there. Uh, we look. Our biggest risk is probably the the risk of the actual drilling of the wells. And uh, we got enough wells to last for the next twenty some odd years if we don't acquire anything. And so. Uh, Best case, we leave our mark on history. Worst case, we take care of our families for the next couple of generations. But not a bad spot to be in. I like that. I like that. RJ, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I really, uh, you know, enjoy getting the chance to pick your brain and, and you know, feel the energy, man. You, you were able to transfer the energy through the, through the computer. So I, I appreciate you for that. And I appreciate you for, um, you know, just sharing that with us, man. So thank you. Oh. No, no worries at all. If there is ever anything I can do, if uh, you want to talk again, do not hesitate. That's Absolutely. that's what I'm here for. Is I tell my guys. Absolutely. Thank you. Oh. Well.